Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one Best big in the league and it's no debate Booze from the haters, point him to the exit I guess every franchise needs his process Every franchise needs its own process Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray Hit you with the jab, step, knock down, lock from Ben Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it Yeah, homie, let the fans know it Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye if you mess, you better get back Cause if them bees, there won't be a putback Keep all that trash out of the paint Cause them bees will put it back in your face He's a cold-blooded killer And he take no prisoners Yeah, dump off from TJ Call it the feed to him What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell Along with my muscular co-star, the the, the the video at legend Brock Landis. He stays solid. We all know that. We're always we're going up together in Brock's world. That's how as that's how it goes. Everyone's coming with Brock. What's going on? What's going on, AK? I appreciate the kind words and I'm ready to talk hoops, bro. That's all we do. We talk hoops. We text it. We podcast it. We make videos about it. We write about it. That's right. Let's let's, let's get it going. That's right. So um Last time we talked, the Sixers had been had, had not yet played without Embiid. Um, they had the Spurs on the docket. They had the Knicks, Bucks, Kings, and then today they'll play the Knicks again. But all in all, um, they're three and one without Embiid in this stretch. And you know, I I, I gotta say, like I, I find even though like the quality of opponents hasn't been like anything like incredible like the spurs are okay are pretty good they're above 500 but they're not great they're also without demar Derozan. um the knicks are a 500 team although i think they're better than that than their record says um the kings are abhorrent but they've either won or had a sizable lead in all of in, in all of the games that they've that they've played without him in this stretch uh, up to this point um let's let's dig in with the spurs game um you know, I just kind of thought there was like a, a, a renewed energy in that building uh, for the Spurs game. A little bit of a slow first half, but they came out firing the second half, and it was like they could do no wrong. I think if any of these games are indicative of anything, it's that Doc Rivers and his staff are definitely coaches of the year, and I say that plural because there's a lot of geniuses working behind the scenes. So. On the surface, if you look at the Sixers bench, there's always guys coaching. The players are always being coached, whether it's at a timeout, whether it's an ATO play, whether it's after a loose ball, it goes out of bounds, the ref blows the whistle. There's always coaches coaching on the sideline, and that's crucial. Now, the player development has been awesome, but just in terms of system, these games prove that the system works. And this isn't the typical Sixers team that'll roll out of bed see an opponent on their schedule, maybe play down to the opponent, shoot 42 threes on the road and lose the game by 10 points when they should have killed the opponent. This team is different. Doc and his staff are holding everyone accountable. This is what we expect of you. What's going on? We got you. We, we, we need you to show up and do your job every single night. And that's what's happening. The system is working. So you can plug Joel Embiid in. You can plug Tony Bradley in. Regardless, 
they're there to do their roles, and that's contribute to winning, optimizing the offense. So in the Spurs game, I just saw a team that came out completely bought into the system. We're going to bully the other team. And it's as simple as that. There's nobody on the Spurs team that can match Ben Simmons, let alone Tobias Harris. So those guys got busy. We're going to use our muscle to get into the paint. We're going to force mismatches. We're going to force switches with the screens. We're going to generate number advantages to take advantage of. It's just a beautiful offense, and it's a system that works. So like you said, 3-1 and one with no Embiid since the All-Star break. He goes down in the Washington game, going on maybe 4-1 and one if they win tonight. And this is a club that's just learning how to play together. And credit to Doc, to Sam Cassell, to Dave Yeager, Dan Burke, Popeye Jones, the entire crew, because they're doing a fantastic job this season. And these games are a clear indication of that. Chilla says, do y'all think LeBron will be out when we play them? I absolutely anticipate this, that, that he'll be out when the Sixers play the Lakers. I think it's coming up this week, right? Um, yeah, it's on it's on Thursday. So the yeah. Warriors are Warriors Tuesday, Lakers Thursday. Yeah. So he'll definitely be out. Um, I would think Anthony Davis would be out. And, I mean, I, I think you're kind of catching a little bit of a break here. Um, no Steph on Tuesday either for the Warriors. Is that confirmed? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure Seth and Steph are out. I think Jason Dumas, I don't I don't want to incorrectly uh, sort, sort, cite him, but I think he did say that he was looking forward to the Steph and Seth matchup, but it's not going to happen now. I'm going to do some research on that. But, yeah, so I, I think they're um, expecting that, they'll, that they won't have to face uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis on um, on, on, on Thursday, which is going to be, a, you know, a, a break for them, considering that you know, this was supposed to um, be a really tough stretch for them. And, you know, they were supposed to, you know, really fall back in the standings. It might not happen, um, but, we'll, you know, we shall see. But I, I, I don't know how incredible this is or real or whatever. I think I read something somewhere. It was like they expect LeBron eight to ten weeks. Really? I, I don't know if that's wow. I don't know, I don't know if that's credible or not, but I mean I, I didn't I, know that was the timetable. I mean it looked brutal and, and, and LeBron was clearly in pain. I know the MRI revealed it was a high ankle sprain and those could be tricky. Um but with the Lakers, even with the Sixers now with Brooklyn and KD, at this point in the season you kind of know who the top three seeds are. And you obviously don't want to lose home advantage with your one seed, but if you can maintain a one through three and get your guys healthy for the postseason, that's really all that matters at this point. There's, what, 26 games left, 27 games left, something around that benchmark. So for the Lakers, for Brooklyn, maybe Philly, you give uh, – 31. 31 games left, is it? Because 72, whatever. Uh, But regardless, my point still stands. Um, These guys are probably going to get extended rest, and and there's going to be nights where there's precaution. Like last night with Ben, if he has left knee soreness, if something flares up, you want him for the playoffs. You don't necessarily need him. At a home game against Sacramento coming off a five-game and seven-night trip where they just want to go home because they've been on the road for an entire week. So there's going to be nights like that along the way. And you you just want these guys to be healthy because that's the best brand of basketball when everyone's healthy and when everyone's playing. I've seen a lot of people, when LeBron got hurt, when when Joel Embiid got hurt, talk about the MVP race. And I understand it's, it's like a fan accolade. It's like a badge of honor. Our guy won the Most Valuable Player of the Year award. But at the end of the day, it means nothing. It means nothing to the players, maybe some more endorsements, more money, but the MVP means nothing. There's a bigger picture here. 
there's a marathon here and that's what those guys are working for. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the they, they they win the Spurs game pretty handily. I gotta say they, they only put ninety nine points to the Spurs. Um, th- their defense through this whole stretch this last week ninety nine to the Spurs. It was like hundred and two to the to the Wizards, even though they had Embiid for like half that game. Um, uh, the, the the Knicks ninety six points. The Bucks. Uh, I don't even remember. Um, but but. That's why I think the Sixers are so good in comparison to 109, 109. Yeah, and that and that Bucks yeah. team has like the best offense in the NBA. Yeah, they score more points than anybody in the league. They score like 120 a game on average. Yeah, but that's why this team is so different than any team I've seen in the league this year. It's because when they want, they'll lock anybody down. And just think about it from a basketball perspective. I say that all the time, but you really need to visualize these things. If Joel Embiid's on the floor. That alters a team's entire offense. That's a 7-2, 7-1, 7-foot, brute in the middle of the paint. That alters the offensive attack. Now, you have that, and you have Ben Simmons. Now, for reference, he's the same height as Dwight Howard, and Dwight Howard's a rim-protecting giant. So imagine you've got Dwight Howard, but athletic, faster than 97 95% of the league, running around with any team's number one, Tobias, who's 6'8", with obviously a chip on his shoulder, you saw it against Julius Randle. I called that the nightmare on Broad Street because that game was not fun for Julius Randle at all. He got his buckets, but Tobias got the upper hand there. And you think about the multi-positional flexibility with those three. Joe can guard more than one position. He can occasionally stick with a guard. He could guard a four. Tobias can guard a two through four. Ben, one through four. You just got to pick two guys on the court with them that could really hold it down on defense. So, it could be Danny, it could be Seth, it could be Matisse. There's a whole bunch of combinations the Sixers can make where they'll lock down another team. And they've held a team to under 100 points seven times this season already. So defensively, I think they're the best team in the NBA. Yeah, they're certainly sneaking up on the Lakers, that's for sure. Um, and we'll see how that defense, what happens with the defense without without LeBron there. Mm-hmm. But I think a hunt, like, again, 105 with the Kings, which is a pretty which is a fine offensive team. Um Spurs 99, Wizard or Wizards 102, Bucks 109, um, Knicks 96. I mean, they've really locked up the, the defensively, um, and I think like what speaks volumes to it is in the month of March they're like tenth in the NBA in deflections per game. Um, in 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 the last like I think no sorry, so in the last week or so they're tenth in the NBA in deflections per game. In the month of March. They're top three in deflections per game. So I mean, they're they're really creating a bunch. They're they're getting active in the passing lanes. They're aggressive there. They're pressuring those. They're pressuring the driving lanes as well. Um, and they're really getting out in transition and run and, and creating runouts. And I think the three point shooting is getting better as a result of that as well. Um, let's go over to um, at, you know after the Spurs game, they play uh, the Knicks, and they're going to play the Knicks again tonight. That Knicks team is good. I like that Knicks team. I think I, even if they're a 500 team, I think their record is is sort of a a a, a short indication of who they are. I think they're a, be, a better team than that. But um, you know, all, all credit goes to uh, Tobias Harris. He was really a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous closer in that game. Um, he you know he he had eight points in the fourth quarter. I think one of the easiest ways, and I don't want to discredit the the, the the challenge it is to improve in the NBA, but 
one of the if you're not like a gifted athlete, if you don't have the the rangiest wingspan, if you don't have the length to be like uber like you know mismatchy for different guys, and if you don't have like the agility to like to switch on different to different people, one of the best ways to become a, a good defender in the modern NBA is to just work on your hands and hand timing. Um, I thought he did. A, I thought he did a really good job of keeping a hand on Julius Randle and and sort of you know stopping the ball um, and, and basically preventing him from getting shots up. And I thought um, that was huge for for, for against the uh, against that team on um, on on what Tuesday I think it was. And so you know Randle was like seven of nineteen from the field. I think he was. I want to say O of eight against Tobias. I don't. I, don't hold me to that. No, uh, I think he, I mean, he might have been like two, two of seven or two of nine, if I remember. I know he had two buckets, though. Gotcha. So, yeah, um, I, I thought you know he did a tremendous, tremendous job on both sides of the ball, and I know what uh, I know what Tobias says. I know what Joel says. Like Joel says, I want to win Defensive Player of the Year. I want to win a championship. Tobias says, No, I'm about winning number one. Everything he's said over the last two months leaves no doubt that he really badly wanted to be an all-star and he felt hurt that he was not deemed one. And this is sort of his revenge tour um, the second half of the season. He was fabulous last night. He's been really good on both sides of the ball since, since the, you know, since the break. Um, And he's really being an X factor for this team when they need him to step up the most. The thing about Tobias is that he probably feels jaded. Like, you look at the All-Star game, and they've got Demonis Sabonis, Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, he's out west, but Jalen Brown, Julius Randle, Bradley Beal. And Tobias has more games with at least 20 points on at least 50% shooting than all of them. And that's super efficient. That's peak efficiency right there. Tobias has been more than a third star. If you look at what the Sixers do, it's play basketball positionless. So, everybody's clamoring for this perimeter creator, this guy that can get buckets, and it's right in front of you. Tobias is that guy. Tobias is the type of player that knows his spots. He shows up to the court, and he knows what he has to do. He knows how he has to get to his spots, and he knows who he's going to attack. So if he sees a mismatch, like, for example, last night, a screen comes, he sees Rashawn Holmes, it's no hesitation. I'm getting a bucket on this guy. If he's playing the Spurs – and he sees Lonnie Walker on him in the post, it's no hesitation. I'm getting a bucket on this guy. And that's how Tobias has been playing for years. The reason everyone kind of forgot was because he was playing under Brett Brown. And Tobias Harris, a guy who's notorious for going left and dominating on the left side, has a coach writing up plays for him to get buckets on the right side, and he has to share the floor with Al Horford. It was just clunky. But now everybody's kind of reminded of who Tobias is, and it's a grown man bucket getter. It just so happens that now he's 28 years old, reaching the peak, the prime of his career. As you get older, they say you get stronger, you get a little smarter, you get some grown man strength. Well, Tobias has it all. He's been super consistent. He's been super efficient. And I kind of like the fact that he wasn't named an all-star. I hate it personally because he should have been. And and, and I feel bad for my guy. That's, That's a huge, huge accomplishment. But at the same time, him not being chosen to the All-Star game is kind of a little extra motivation. He might see Julius Randle on the schedule. He's like, you know what? I have to show the world who's a better ball player. He might see Jalen Brown or Tatum when they play Boston on the schedule and think the same thing. And that's what the Knicks game told me. He went at Julius Randle all night, scored 30-plus points, 
held Julius Randle to under three buckets, and he really just put the team on his back. He's been a vocal leader for Philadelphia for two, three seasons now, but it's really translating on the court. He is the right guys in his corner on the sidelines, and it's just beautiful to watch because Tobias has, has that grown man's game. It reminds me so much of Melo. I could pick one, one highlight out of every game and compare it to a Melo highlight. Denver, OKC, New York, however you want it, it's there. And I'm really proud of Tobias this year. Yeah, for sure. And um, I, I just think, like, number one, sometimes, like, it's, it's, it's hard to listen to somebody from a leadership standpoint, if they're not an all-star. Mm-hmm. So like, but like, I, I think that more applies. So to guys uh, such as like for say, like let's say Amir Johnson, like end of the bench role player, you're not yeah. going to listen to like his words don't carry much weight. Um, but like a guy like Tobias, even if he doesn't have the accolades, I think he has the respect of all of his teammates. And I think, sure. um, I think he has a very loud voice in that locker room and he not only is he showing up and he's balling out on the court, he's setting the tone and the precedent off the court as well. Last night after the game, um, in the Zoom pre- in the Zoom press conference, Doc says, um, you know, he really set the ta- set the, the the tone for them and had them prepared for that game. He he said, you know, treat this like a road game. We don't have our we don't have you know our, three of our starters. This is a road game for us. Uh, coming with that mentality, and he really you know, had them locked in and, and ready to go, had the younger guys ready to go. And I think, I think, I think you, those leadership, you know, uh, characteristics are things that you don't necessarily see off the court because they don't happen in front of the camera. But I think he has a, I think he has a very tangible um, impact both on and off. And I think he's been everything that needed him to be this year. Let me add this too. Billy's got a closer. It's Joel Embiid. That's who their offense runs through. If you need a bucket, you're probably going to Joe. But the interesting thing is that Tobias Harris is better than probably 98% of players in the clutch. And that's just how it is this year. Like, there's only three players with 100-plus points and 30-plus free throws. So they're scoring and they're getting to the line in the fourth quarter on at least 50% shooting. 50% three-point shooting, and 80% at the line. Those three players are Tobias Harris, Steph Curry, and Kevin Durant. So when you've got a guy that can get you a bucket whenever you need one in the fourth and do it efficiently, you can have confidence in him to go get that bucket. On top of the fact that you've got Embiid, it just makes them super difficult to match up with and super unpredictable. I see Chile asks, is Tobias shooting more efficient than Melo? He might be. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. Melo was catching bodies. He, he was a little more springy than Tobias is. But regardless, it's the same thing. They're getting their buckets in the same way. I'm better than you. I have a mismatch against you. I'm a 6'8 bucket getter, and I'm going to score. That's how Toby's playing, and I, I'm, I'm just thrilled to have him in Philadelphia. For sure. Now, we're going to discuss – we have, obviously have more to discuss, but Brock, I think you have some words from one of our uh, – Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. So if you like shotgunning beer, you got to pick one of these up. This is a King Cobra and it's a shotgunning tool that can increase your shotgunning time at parties, at the bar, wherever you want to shotgun. Check my boys out at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. Use this part right here. It's also a tab puller, same part, vent puncher, and fits all on a keychain. This is where you put it on a keychain. 
For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on IG at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra, as always, is spelled with a K for a 10% discount on all products. Enter the code Trust the Cobra 10. All caps, one word. Please pick yours up today. They look out for us over on the King Cobra. If you support me in Austin, go support them over at the King Cobra on Instagram. That's right. That's right. Um, let's so let let's jump over to the Bucks game. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know it's a, it's a massive game for what for, for you know who has bragging rights in the East. Um, although I, I think it holds more weight for the Sixers in terms of bragging rights than it does for the Bucks because like the Bucks get to say in the end we that you know we beat them in their building without their best player uh, by four after they were on a back-to-back in overtime. Um, now, you know, so, I mean, whereas the Sixers could say, like, we beat that, that team at full strength in our building in overtime without our best player on the second half of back-to-back. Um, so, I, I obviously, it would, it would have held more weight for the Sixers. But the Bucks, to their credit, t- they come out, they take care of business. Um, an abhorrent first half for the Bucks. It was horrible. They, they, they were one of 17 from three. They're usually a better three-point shooting team than that. Um, but really, I, I thought Giannis – I thought Ben really did a really – as much as he struggled offensively because they kind of walled him off and, 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 and did some things defensively that I'll, I'll touch on, um, he made Giannis very indecisive down the stretch of that game. And only when um, – only when – the Sixers really got exhausted and were running on empty. Did the Bucs really come back to win that game? But like in the first half, one of the things I noticed early on, the Bucs were, 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 were scram switching on, on Ben Simmons. Did you, do you know what that means? Yeah. Okay, you do. So for the viewers out there, scram switching basically means if you're often, if, if the defensive player isn't the, isn't the post and the offensive player has a mismatch, they're going to try to obviously enter the ball into the post like they do with Ben or Tobias or Joel. If it's a smaller matchup and you and you and you know you have a, a more favorable defender on the court and help, what you'll do is you'll throw the switch as the ball is being entered into the post, mm-hmm. so that way you get that better matchup onto the onto the, onto the guy in the post, and the mismatch kind of goes away. The key, however, to a, a switch or a, a scram switch is this: if you time it so that way you switch before they make the pass, the inbound the the, the guy that passes into the post now has a way to get the ball to the guy that you just left. Right and on the on the perimeter. If you leave too late, the guy who gets the ball in the post can then turn and and fling it to the guy who is now left open on the perimeter. You have to do it and time it so that way you do it while the ball is in the air because they can't. It, the only place it's going to go is to the guy in the post. The Bucks did that a lot on Ben Simmons, made him um, sort of you know indecisive, bothered him around the rim, and Drew Holiday. I thought did a great job of that. And really kind of rendered him not useless, but less effective than, than we know he can be on the offensive end of the floor. Um, but really the Sixers, they just made shots. They made shots in that first half. There was still some adrenaline. There was still some, some gas left in the tank. Um, but then the second half comes along, right? And um, I'm curious, what did, what did you see in the second half? I'm going to take it back a little bit. All right, I'm going to start with the first half and I'm going to break this entire game down. Cause I didn't break it down on YouTube. It was going to be a 15 minute video. The turnaround was going to be too quick. So this is my opportunity to break it down. Let me start with this Austin, right? Okay. This right here. Oh my God. 
He's going to regret that. That's going to be something that Giannis regrets. That's going to be something that Joel Embiid's going to make a point or Ben Simmons or Tobias to get Giannis back with. When they drop the Bucks off in Milwaukee, when they do it in the playoffs, I don't know where it's going to be. They're going to make a point to make Giannis feel that. I love Giannis. Funny dude. I think he earned it in the fourth quarter there in an overtime. But that was a mistake. Now, if we're talking game in the first half, Milwaukee missed a lot of shots, but not by accident. Philly was forcing Giannis into a lot of heavily contested shots, shots around the basket that weren't even close to going in, shots that were short, three-point misses where they were contesting them. Milwaukee missed a lot of shots in the first half on purpose. It was a product of the Sixers' defense. Now, for Philly, that was their fifth game in seven nights, and they were on a back-to-back. It was their second back-to-back that week. They were gassed. When they got to the second half, Tobias got to his spots. He was getting screens from Tony Bradley, from Dwight. He was getting to his spots, elevating over big guys, dribbling to where he wanted to be, but he was just missing his shots. And that hasn't happened too often this year, right? So what's happening is Tobias is running out of gas. He played 40 minutes the night before. It's a back-to-back, a tiring moment for him. Listen, okay, to, what do we got here? Hey, this is the young kid next to Brock. Krell, look at you. See, you got fans, bro. You got fans. You got comments. You're over it. Come on, bro. Anyway. I did, as a, I'm just a facilitator of conversation here. Brock is yeah. the real star. Anyway, man, so Tobias just ran out of gas in the second half, and that hasn't happened too often, so I wouldn't count on that happening again. Now, with Ben, the story was a little different. I like that you brought up the scram switching. What happened was Milwaukee threw 10-plus doubles at him. Anytime Ben got near the basket, anytime Ben got in the paint, Milwaukee threw a double at him, and that's with Giannis defending him. Now, the players were Pat Connaughton or Drew Holiday were defending him. It was tough for him to get near the basket because you got to think, these guys are 6'4", 6'5". Ben has a clear mismatch. He's getting downhill. Brooke just leaves Dwight. Brooke Lopez doesn't worry about Dwight and the dunker. He just leaves him, and now there's two guys on Ben. One maybe getting in the way of his body, the other getting in the way of the shot. They're just bothering Ben. That doesn't happen with Joel Embiid. Teams just can't afford to leave Joel Embiid the way they did Tony Bradley or Dwight Howard. They can't afford to just not pay attention to Joel Embiid. So what you'll see next time they play is either Ben Simmons dominates, Ben Simmons gets his buckets, he gets downhill, he forces his way to the basket, and he has one-on-one matchups, or what happened to Ben will happen to Embiid. Teams are just going to leave Ben and go double Embiid. And when they do that, you know what the Sixers are going to do. They're going to make you pay. So if they double Joe, here, kick it to Tobias. Kick it to a cutting Ben. Get a three-point shot. But teams can't just not pay attention to Embiid the way they did against Bradley and Dwight. So Ben got doubled, and he paid for it. Offensively, he took a beating. But he still assisted 12 baskets, and six of them were three-pointers. He assisted 11 three-point attempts, which means he generated 11 three-point attempts for his teammates. So regardless of if he's scoring – He's still heavily impacting the game as a playmaker, as a facilitator, and as a defender. Austin, you didn't even bring it up. Giannis got clamped in the first half. Giannis couldn't do a thing. You brought it up. Yeah, you did bring you, you did bring it up. But he was a non-factor. Like he got he got clamped in the first quarter. I think he only made I don't even know if he made a shot. If he did, he made one or two against Ben altogether. Only only a shot or two made in the first half, but he had four turnovers. Milwaukee turned the ball over a season high times in that first half. Like the Sixers defensively were locked in. And in the second half, they just ran out of gas 
It happens. They played a ton of games. And in the playoffs, if they play Milwaukee again, I wouldn't anticipate that happening. Joel Embiid changes the entire game. In the fourth quarter, Giannis just scored against anybody. At ease in the fourth and in overtime, he scored against anybody with ease except for Ben Simmons. Why? Because he kept calling for screens. He kept getting bent off of them. He kept getting switches on Tobias, onto Dwight, onto Danny right. Green. And when that happens, the Sixers are in trouble. They're in trouble because those guys, they can't keep up with Giannis. And that's fine. Giannis is a beast. But if Joel Embiid is on the floor, it makes switching on the guys for Giannis harder. It makes getting baskets on other players harder. It makes getting downhill harder. Joel Embiid changes the entire game. And because of it, I think Milwaukee is no problem for Philadelphia. But, of course, they get the bragging rights here in, in, in what month is this, March? They get the bragging rights in March. Let's see who's bragging in three, four months. Yeah, you know, I I got to tell you, I don't – I'm not too worried um, about the Bucs. It just went, like Brooke Lopez is, is not a good, he had that one really good year as a shooter. Hasn't been anything like that since Dante DiVincenzo is inconsistent. Um, Middleton, I thought was like a non-factor in that game. Drew Holiday is, is a very good defender, but I think his defense is better than his offense at this stage in his career, but he's still a very good player. Um, and Giannis is Giannis, but their the depth I think is still lacking. And even with PJ Tucker, like, I'm sure you'll get some value there, but I don't know that he's going to be the impact player that makes a difference in a seven-game series um, for you. Now, in that second half, I thought the things that really hurt the Sixers. Number one, they just, they just had no legs on, under 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 their shots. Like Seth was missing real short. Um, it was front rim on a lot of the jumpers. Uh, even Tobias was missing short in the post. Um, and usually when you miss repeatedly – short in like the same spots, especially shots that are your bread and butter. It means you don't have legs. It means you're trying to, it, it means your arms are still working, but your legs are dead. And so you're just missing everything short. Um, and then on the, on the defensive side, and then plus there were a lot of, I thought a lot more live ball turnovers in the second half. You saw a couple live ball turnovers in the first half, but they kind of, the, the problem subsided and then the Sixers were able to build their lead from that. But the second half, a lot of, if you're going to turn the ball over, it happens. Try to get it out of bounds. Try to try, try to try to have it be line steps or passes out of bounds or, or, or strips out of bounds, whatever. Live ball turnovers against the Bucks are just fatal because they're going to get to Giannis, they're going to push the pace, and they're going to get they're going to get you know, you're going to, they're going to get downhill, and you're going to get Giannis cooking. And that's what that's what happened in that second half a lot. Um, and then I thought like on the defensive side of the ball. Even like and Doc even said this too. Like they got to the line more than the Sixers did. I thought that the biggest issue there was the Sixers' second half. The feet weren't moving as well, and so they started they started to do things that kids do on defense. They grabbed, they used their arms to try to hold people back. They got a little bit handsy um, on, on on defense, and they were and the Bucks were able to get them in the penalty fast. Were able to get continue get continuation calls. And get to the rim, get get those fouls. So I thought, all in all, just the Sixers ran out of gas late. To their credit, though, they 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 made it a close game um, at, at the very end. I thought in the fourth quarter, like once the Bucks got it down to like five or six, I was like, okay, they're gonna run out of gas, and the Bucks are gonna win this game by ten plus in regulation. Right. And that you know the, the Sixers they were literally tied for five minutes. Like no one made a shot for five minutes, and then there was like a three point parade 
at the end. Um, and they took him to overtime. Generally, I know Ben, a lot of it was like Ben was in foul trouble late in the game, but they were running a lot of their offenses like pick and rolls with Cork Maz and Dwight Howard. Generally speaking, against the Bucks, if you're if you're running your offense offense through Cork Maz pick and rolls, you're probably not in a good spot. <laughs> you're, you're not, and that's the problem, right? If there's no Joel Embiid, you need offense somewhere else. Tobias, his legs weren't really under him. He was a little gassed. His shots weren't falling. Ben was getting doubled and tripled, so he can't get the buckets. He usually does. And their offense was Dwight Howard, long mid-range twos, like you said, Quirk Maz, pick and roll, Shake Milton, who wasn't too reliable towards the back end of that game. There just wasn't a huge source of offense late. And if you have Joel Embiid, there's your offense right there. Just feed him the ball. He's either getting a bucket or getting fouled seven or eight, nine times out of ten. So you really don't have to worry about that late game creation with Embiid. And him being there opens the game up for everyone else. It makes the game easier for Ben, for Tobias, for Seth. So I'm not too worried about this game. There were definitely signs of things to come. One thing I was really impressed with was that Ben Simmons was able to defend and stick with Giannis throughout the entire game. So a year or two ago, you would have seen Al Horford and Joel Embiid primarily on Giannis. But now Ben has the strength and the mentality to rock with anybody. And the fact that he was able to stick with Giannis in the post and thwart a couple of shots, get a big body on Giannis and make him pass out of a couple of shots, that's a huge improvement in Ben's game. Because in years past, he might not have had that strength or maybe not had the confidence in himself, but now it's there. He'll literally guard anybody and he'll do it well. That was a really encouraging thing to see. And also Furkan Korkmaz. Furkan's been hot. He's been top 10 in catch and shoot three since the All-Star break. You got to live with that roller coaster of emotions. You got to take the good with the bad with Korkmaz. And that was one of those nights where you're, 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 you're thanking God Korkmaz is on the court because he had a huge shot to send the game to overtime, that three-point shot in the corner. And then in overtime, he had a big three-point shot to tie the game or at least bring it within one or two. Uh, so Quirk Ma is doing a really good job in the month of March, just catching it and shooting it. And credit to the bench, because three games since the All-Star break, they've scored 54 or more points. They've been outscoring other benches. They've stepped up. Certain guys, Tony Bradley, who's in the third unit, has stepped up magnificently as a starter. Austin, he's no LaMarcus Aldridge, but he's been playing better than anybody could have expected. Tony Bradley's been awesome uh, in the pick and roll defensively on the boards I really like what I see and it raises the question like do you mess with the chemistry do you mess with the chemistry right now do you make a significant splash do you wait do you see if there's someone at the deadline do you trust the buyout market enough what do you do I think Daryl Morey and Doc have a lot of conversations that that need to be had but I'm confident in those guys I trust them entirely for sure now as for the Giannis sitting on the court thing um, I get it. I get why he did it. Um, I thought it was pretty cowardly of him to do it. Like after like Ben Simmons committed his fifth foul and literally couldn't defend anything. Like he had to like basically like tie his hands behind his back. Like he did, he made all of his jump shots when that happened. So they were basically unguarded jump shots, even though they were tough moves that he made it, 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 it was not nearly as impressive as he thought it was. Um, and so he sits in the court, not only are the Sixers going to remember that, the fans are going to remember that going forward. So there's always going to be a very loud boo for him going forward. Um, I wouldn't have done that, I think, especially since this team was down their best player. Like, you won by four in overtime. 
there's like this isn't an impressive victory by you. you uh, listen, I don't mind it. It's a heat of the moment thing. And like for anybody that's played basketball, if you've hit a dagger shot or if somebody on your team said a dagger shot, like that's an unbeatable feeling. Adrenaline's high. Giannis hits a step back, Jay on Dwight. He hits a three, and Ben Simmons wasn't defending him tightly, but Ben Simmons was the defender. He hit a three on Ben Simmons, and he took that game over. He won. If there's no Giannis, Milwaukee doesn't win that game. Giannis single-handedly won Milwaukee that game in the fourth and in OT. The adrenaline's high, and I respect it. Giannis is a competitor. He studied Kobe. He wants to be the best player in the league. He's a self-proclaimed harder worker than anybody in the league, so I respect it. If Giannis wanted to do that, he earned it. And it's basketball. Like that, that, that's that's the stuff you live for. That's the excitement. That's the theatrics. But all I'm saying is that you might not have wanted done it against the Sixers. Like maybe if you're playing Brooklyn and there's nobody that can guard you, sure. Maybe if you're playing Utah, if you're playing Phoenix, like if you're playing a lesser opponent, sure. But the Sixers have a Joel Embiid. They have Ben Simmons and Tobias. Tobias and Ben weren't enough on that night, but they have a Joel Embiid. And Joel Embiid is notorious for being one of the biggest trolls in the NBA, in the history of the NBA, and he's, he's only been in the league for, what, five, six seasons? So Joe is definitely plotting. I don't care about all the dad stuff, the stuff with his wife, the stuff that he's just focused on basketball. That's true. And that product is showing on the court. The proof is in the progress. But at the same time, Joel Embiid made a mental note of that. He watched his boys get dogged in the fourth and OT. Giannis celebrated it. And I guarantee, I guarantee Joel Embiid is coming back. I, I guarantee he's coming back to make a point about that. Yeah. Um, I, all in all, I, I didn't th- find it to be a particularly um, discouraging loss. for mm-hmm. the. Second, I don't think Tobias was discouraged. Doc wasn't discouraged. Um, I thought, I think they were pretty happy with that outcome, even though – they had a 19-point lead and blew it. Uh, I still think that they'll live with that given the circumstances. Um, then they play the, the Kings last night. And Brock, they didn't play the Kings. They bullied the Kings. That's exactly right. They took their uh, lunch. Uh, let me uh, – you know, I, I'll, I'll say this. That Kings team is horrible. Har- they're an okay offensive group. They are, I think, the worst defense I think I've ever seen. Like Danny Green came off a screen from came off like a DHO from Tobias, and was, um, like he was like he couldn't believe how open he was top of the game, and they went under the screen, and he just like pulls up for this mitt for this like straight on three and nails it. There was no defense at all in that game last night, and the Sixers it was the it was like one of the first times this year where I thought you could really see and feel the level of accountability and preparation doc has with this team after the game. I asked doc, I was like, um, I, I asked them, you know, you guys were very line drivey the first half. You were very, you know, li- limiting dribbles, not wasting seconds, just making mo- like, like getting the ball, c- catching the ball in the half court and, and, and deciding what you were going to do. No, no questions asked. And he was like, yeah, it was quick decisions line drives all through practice the previous day. So he had them ready to go because of the hard practice they 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 put forth on Friday. And I, I thought they just they, that that Kings team was they were they were without Marvin Bagley. Um but he isn't like a difference maker at this stage in his career. Um they they blitzed them on all fronts. That that Kings team had no energy. They were completely uninspired. Now maybe they were exhausted from the Celtics win the previous night. They beat Boston by eleven in their building. Um but 
I mean, that's the type of game. Like, you're down three starters. You have, like, one of the six worst benches in the NBA, and you win by 36. Or you, we win by, like, 20-plus, up by as many as 36. It, that's a, it's a game that you get the coach fired. I mean, like I said, this is all about coaching for Philly. Everything past the All-Star break has been indicative of coaching. You look at the Washington game, Joel Embiid, he asserts his dominance. The Sixers win without him in the second half. The Spurs game, the Sixers' largest victory against San Antonio in franchise history. Against the Kings, a massive win with, like you said, no Joel Embiid, no Ben Simmons, down Seth Curry. All it is is these guys have the confidence to look at their schedule See boot on their schedule and not play with it. The Sixers are a better team than the Kings. Even without Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, they think they're a better team than the Kings. There's nobody that could guard Tobias. We think our system is better than the Kings' system, and we're just going to take advantage. We're going to bully the Kings. We're going to run our stuff, and this, it's up to the Kings to stop that. The Sixers don't depend on anybody on their game plan, right? They're just showing up and doing their thing, and if you want to stop them, it's up to you to stop them. What's up, Ben Butler, DC, the GOAT? A couple of GOATs in the chat right now. I appreciate you guys all. What's up with everybody? Uh, but, I mean, I mean, this this win is just indicative to me that the system works. It doesn't matter who you plug and play in the system. It's going to work. You've got two big bodies. They understand their role. Screen and roll to the basket. You've got ball handlers and playmakers that understand where their shots are coming from and what they got to do. And it's as simple as that. It's not like the Sixers are just showing up and doing completely different things every night and there's no semblance of an offense and certain guys are getting hot. And no, it's the same thing. It's consistency. It's, it's constant repetition. They're just preparing for the playoffs. And nights like this, it's like, for, like yeah, <laughs> you watch the games, I break them down and everything. But on nights like this with this Sixers team, it's like you don't even need to watch it. Like you know what's going to happen. You know what the Sixers are going to do. They see their opponent, and, and, and that's that. That's that's all it is. So I'm I'm just really thrilled with this coaching staff. And like I said, if Doc isn't the coach of the year, there's a problem. You, you, can, make, you can make a case for, for Monty Williams. What they've got going on in Phoenix is awesome. Quinn Snyder with Utah, definitely. Frank Vogel holding it down in Los Angeles. You could even say maybe Steve Nash, Mups in the GOAT. Um, but none of those teams have what Philly has. Embiid and Simmons are both under 26 years old. They've never won anything. So Doc is getting this team to understand how to win. They're getting them comfortable with how to win. They don't even know how to win yet. Doc's getting them comfortable. He's preparing them on a nightly basis. He's holding it down for everybody in terms of accountability. And these guys are always coaching. The, the development has been crazy. Like I said earlier, the proof is in the progress. So if Doc doesn't win coach of the year, I'll be upset. I'll feel jaded for him, just like I I feel jaded for Tobias in the All Star game. I don't think he's winning Coach of the Year. I, I think it's going to be uh, Monty Williams. Yeah, I mean, what Phoenix has got or, going on is awesome. They're or Tom Thibodeau, or he maybe no. Come it, on, Tom Tom Thibodeau wouldn't win over Doc Rivers. There's no chance. There's there's absolutely no chance. If the Sixers maintain a top three seed, Tom Thibodeau has no shot at winning Coach of the Year over Doc. James Rego. Huh. How about James Borrego? Absolutely not. You can't give a bottom six. Listen, if there's eight, nine teams that make the playoffs, right? You're not giving a bottom four team of those nine the coach of the year award as opposed to a team that has a top three seed. Like, I think Steve Nash or Doc would win it in the East and out West. It'd be Quinn Snyder or, or Monty Williams right now. I really I think, think that that's what it comes down to. I think Monty gets it. I do. 
I, I just, I, mean, I don't think there's a lot of national narratives that are in support of the Sixers. I don't like MVP isn't well, anymore. Well, that, that, that's that, that's fine, but at the end of the day, like that's what it is. The that's people that, is. you you could say is narrative based, but I would I would argue that Coach of the Year is probably less narrative based than the MVP. I think Coach of the Year is just too like Mike Budenholzer wins Coach of the Year every year. Why? Because the Bucks are the best team in the regular season. Like they execute their stuff. They're better than everyone in the regular season. If the Sixers maintain a one seed, absolutely Doc wins coach of the year. But if you want to talk about narrative, like think about the position you and I were in five months ago doing these podcasts. We're like, bro, I hate the Sixers. Like where are the Sixers going to go, right? Josh Richardson, Al Horford, you've got management taking the Sixers out to Super Bowl parties and getting them hung over nights before games. Like, you can't say anything to anybody in, in, in the facility because everybody's going to get offended. Everyone thinks you're you're out to attack them. Like the position Philly was in last year with all of that and also $33 million under the cap, it's like what the hell was this team going to do? Like they set themselves back at least two, three years. Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers, and his staff come in here, and now we're talking about them like they're the best team in the NBA. I think that alone is enough to make a case for Doc. If anybody watches basketball – you got to give Doc the coach of the year. Like if anybody in the in the entire world is watching the NBA, there's no way you can watch the Sixers and not give coach of the year to Doc. He's, I, will he's, this. I, I will say this. I think it helps him that he's, you know, been on ESPN, the jump for like spontaneous yeah. interviews. He's That's what DC all, said. Yeah, he, he, he's done all the smoke. Um, yeah, he, he, he's been very public, um, you know, with, with the national media and sort of – not not played buddy buddy, but he's made him he's made himself a lasting appeal. He also has the the, the voice of the social justice, which I think matters a lot. Um, so I mean, I, I think there are things that are playing to his favor to his favor. But I mean, listen, you listen to the, the people at ESPN. You listen to the I body. A, I don't give a damn about the people. people the, I know you don't care, but those are the people that have a say in voting. People like Zach Lowe. People like you know Woj, Brian Windhorst. There's people that are involved in the voting, and they're, and and they, they their narratives are all Utah Jazz, LeBron James, the Lakers, Nikola Jokic, uh, Monty Williams, and Snyder. That's Maybe, just, you know. all of those networks and all of those people you named are the same people that perpetuate the narrative that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons can't coexist, right? I understand that, but they're the ones that have the voting. I know, I know, I know. I know. But I'm saying, if those are the people that perpetuate the narratives that Simmons and Embiid can't coexist, and Doc comes in and makes them the most productive duo in basketball, well, then those people look stupid in themselves for not saying Doc's the most deserving coach of the year. I mean, yeah, there's there, there's there's cases everywhere. Like what Monty Williams has done in Phoenix is awesome. Quinn Snyder is doing a great job in Utah. Like I said, Frank Vogel is holding it down in LA. There's a lot of deserving coaches. I just think Doc is the most deserving. But at the end of the day, kind of like the MVP, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It's a marathon. There's a bigger bigger picture. And the coach of the year ultimately will win the NBA Finals. And <laughs> I'm willing to say some confident stuff with my chest, Austin. I'm seeing a lot of stuff on film that makes me want to say that the Sixers are the best team in the NBA. I'm I'm just being honest. I don't think there's a team better than them. Wow. Um, uh, so we have to get to our next ad, but 
Um, before we do that, uh, when, we, when we come back from the ad, we're going to dive into MB potentially coming back early. Um, ben setting out yesterday, maybe maybe missing some time. Um, and, uh, you know, the trade deadline comes up this week. But real quick before we do that, talk to you about our friends at Thrive Fantasy. Um, come hashtag prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. They have eliminated the need to do countless hours of research. How many times do your buddies, not 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 you, Brock, but the viewers? I know you don't do any of that, uh, you know, Tom Foolery. But how many times you know have, have, have the viewers stayed up till three a.m. researching and listening and watching different things, looking for their their their, their betting advantage? Um, Thrive Fantasy takes that away. You don't need to do that anymore. Yeah, I only ask you about the top tier athletes in a respective sport. NFL just ended, but when that comes around, you choose 10 of the 20 players, uh, player prep options to build your lineup. NBA is in the, in the full swing. MLB is coming up very soon. PGA, even esports, choose five out of the 10 player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on its likelihood to occur. The more points the selection is worth, the riskier it is. That's just how it is. Rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Um, there has the, the Thrive has awarded over two over two point two million dollars in prizes since launching in twenty eighteen, and has fifty thousand dollars guaranteed in prizes for NFL, um, you know, eat e- week in week out, and thousands more for the NBA. Use promo code Simmons four three. At Simmons, the word for F-O-R-3, number three, Simmons 4-3. When you sign up today and you will receive an instant deposit match up to $50 on your first deposit of $20 or more, download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website, www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and hashtag prop up. Today. Yo, that Simmons for three code is going to come in handy because he's he's starting to hit them more now. You saw yeah. that three at the end of the Bucks game with the left hand. Yeah, and that went right rainbowed right into the bottom of the net, wet. wet. It, was, it was a good looking shot. His threes are good. He he makes them when it's like end of game and he and there, there's no other option but to get a shot up and they've already lost or like early in the first quarter. Those are his big time shoot threes. I'll tell you what that is, right? Simmons is showing everybody I can shoot. He's like, all you idiots that think I can't shoot, I can shoot. I'm just not doing it because it's not the most efficient play in the floor. And I keep trying to explain this to people. For three years, Simmons has said, I'm a high IQ basketball player. I want to make the best play in the floor. So if he thinks the likelihood of Danny Green making a three is higher than the likelihood of him, him making a three, why should I shoot it? He's thinking, I'll give it to the guy that's literally getting paid $15 million a season to make it. So that's what he does. Him taking these end of the game threes, it's just him being like, yeah, I can make these threes. <laughs> I can do it. I just don't feel like it because it's not the best play on the floor. Yeah. And Mupson, sure. bro. Mupson. Now. That's the GOAT. That's the GOAT. Mupson. That's my guy. This is, we're we're going to change his name to the to the, to the the Brock Fan Club podcast. This is just well, a Listen, Brock. he's one of them. He's one of them. I got a, I got a lot of really good people in my corner. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Embiid, today Shams uh, reports that Embiid is, is, is feeling better. Uh, that he thought he would at this point, he is, you know, in line to return, you know, in within that two week window, that doesn't mean two weeks from today. That means a week's already passed of that two weeks. So mm-hmm. he's in, he's in good standing. Um, 
I got to tell you, I, I think the best course of action is see where he is in a week. If they're still leading the East, if, you know, everything's gone well, don't force them to come back early. Don't, don't make them push things. Um, the, 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 what they do in the regular season doesn't really matter if, 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 if he's not healthy for the playoffs. If I, I wouldn't push him and make him run, make him rush back. I know obviously they'll take the, the long view. He's going to be the one that's going to be saying, I, you know, I want to come back or, um, early. I, I really think it's in the best interest of, of him and the team for this season, for the playoffs, um, to, to, to stay out as long as he, as, as long as necessary and really, you know, make sure his body's right when he comes back. I, I agree, and I'm the no rush for Embiid. Um, he'll, he'll, he'll be cool come playoff time. I just want to thank the people in the chat. Showing love, I keep seeing it. And I can't even think about what I want to talk about because I'm trying to keep up with these comments. So I appreciate everybody. Austin, I think we should kind of switch gears, right, real quick. We got 10 minutes left. I want to talk about what Daryl Morey does, like what's going through his head right now and the organization, like w- what direction they want to go in. Let me so, ask you Real quickly, real quickly. You think Ben plays tonight? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, listen, Ben last night, if you noticed, had a clean lineup, fresh lineup, shaped everything. Like, he he was clean, right? Now, he's either doing that because he was taking a girl out, he was trying to look fresh for something, maybe a live stream, or because he's playing. Speaking from experience, right, (laughs) if I had – if I had – a nationally televised game on Thursday or on Tuesday. Is is the Warriors game nationally televised? TNT. Okay. If I have a nationally televised game on Tuesday, I'm walking into the barbershop at Monday on Monday at the very latest. Like I'm going Monday, maybe Tuesday, but I'm getting my line right before that game. Right before I'm on TV, I'm getting that line. Ben Simmons isn't getting a line for nothing, right? And I, I think it's a little too early for him to get a line for Tuesday. So I think Ben's probably playing tonight. He's got that clean line. I think he's ready to go against New York. Um, but but I can I can understand if you play devil's advocate, uh, you just played New York. You might not need Ben. Uh, maybe rest him for the road trip. No, I think they need Ben to win tonight. I, I think there's no question they need Ben to win tonight. Okay, well maybe they do. New, New, New York's not a pushover anymore. New York's got a good little ball club, but, uh, but maybe in their eyes, this is a game that you can you can you can let go without Ben. I don't know. I think Ben's playing. I think Ben's playing. Um, <laughs> see, this is what I mean. Like, I can't even talk basketball because there's so many people in here. I just want to talk to you on a on a personal level. Like, I, I don't think people realize that Brock doesn't have a contract. He's literally an independent contractor. He's not even. He's he, just, bro, he's, he's, like, he's like on the fence of TPL. He's, he's barely playing. He's just playing. I'm not, bro. My stance with TPL, like. The crazy thing about this is just kind of understanding and accepting that this is a reality now. Like when quarantine first started and I started making the videos, it was kind of like I'm putting them up on YouTube and I didn't think people were going to support them. It was very low production, but I was just confident in them. Yeah. And they just took off now. And it's yeah. it's kind of the point where I'm like, like – I blame me. Yeah. I, you, you're, doing, you're doing great. I, I've had to – like my dad's gone out. We got a mixing board. We got a mic stand now, camera. We're getting a green screen. Like I'm, I'm turning this into a reality. So as much as I support the people at TPL and rock with the people at TPL, this is just kind of taking a life of its own. And you can just tell by the people popping into the chat, like there's a lot of really good people in my corner. And in order for me to pay it forward to them, 
I just have to constantly give my best and put my best foot forward. So if that means losing sleep five out of seven nights a week, which is what happens, then I got to do it. Um, but these are the people that keep me going and, and keep me doing what I'm doing. Um, but back to basketball, because we got five minutes left, right? Yeah, and you wanted to talk about the trade deadline. So that's the trade deadline. On Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, what like So where's your head at with the deadline? What are you thinking? I think they're going to make a move, because I, I just don't think Daryl Morey's type of guy to just let the deadline go by when he knows his team has a chance and not to do anything to improve them. Um, I think he's actively trying to get teams involved in things that make that, 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 that way money can move and picks can be included and, 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 you know, certain contracts can, can be, can be brought here or there. Um, I have a feeling he's going to get Kyle Lowry. I, 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 I don't, I don't, know, I don't know why. I just think he's going to get either Kyle or Norman Powell. Uh, from, from from the Raptors, I think Powell would be a great fit with the second unit, um, you know, because he's he's just, he's, just, he's in a really nice shot creator off the bench, can shoot it too. Um, Kyle, for obvious reasons, would be would would be the uh, the floor raiser, I think for sure. Um, but nothing would surprise me other than them just doing like nothing. Um, I, I think they have some attractive second round picks that teams with like expirings could like. Um, maybe that's the Pelicans for JJ. Maybe that's the Kings for Nemanja. I gotta tell you, I don't think Nemanja Bailey is worth like pursuing. Like, like, like he just isn't doing anything that that great. Now, maybe, like, maybe, that King, maybe that Kings team is just garbage, and, and and he's not inspired by anything there. Um, but I just don't see it. I don't think Langston Galway is going to be an option because the Suns always need more shooting, even though he's not in the rotation right now. Um, and he's been effective for them when he's played as a shooter, and his contract is really, is really, really uh, palatable for them. And so I, I don't see them just trading away a shooter for no reason. Um, but it wouldn't shock me if it was like JJ and Joel was like, I, like, I want, give me, give me my shooter back. I need to have my shooter. And, um, and I think you could get him like without having to include anything. Um, I just don't think the buyout market's going to be anything special this year, really. Um, but like for, for me, that the, the first year it's like Kyle Lowry by himself. Then it's like tier, tier two. Um, <laughs> See, bro, this is what I mean. Like, the, I got some goat support in me, bro. I got, I got the goat support. I'm, I, I, I love the, the support for Brock. I think I do a, a fine job covering the Sixers on the beat. <laughs> oh, come I'll, on, don't make it a competition. Don't make it. No, a competition. I'm not. I'm not. You're, you're you're you are better than me for sure. Don't don't even say that. Like that's what I mean. It's not a me better than you thing. Like we're we're both eating. Everybody eats. That's all it is. That's all it is. We're just doing our thing, bro. Um, I like what you say about Lowry, right? I think Toronto's one for nine in their last 10. So Toronto comes out with that report. We're, we're likely not going to trade. Look at you getting some love here, AK. Put that up on the screen. Put that up on the screen. Nah. Put it up on the screen, bro. There we go. Show, show some love for AK too. Um, the thing about Kyle Lowry is there's two better players at his position on Toronto right now on multi-year contracts. Kyle Lowry's on a one-year contract. They're one for nine in their last 10. They're not in any position to win the finals. 
So if Kyle Lowry is going to get you anything, the time would be now. Because otherwise, he's probably going to walk and get a two-year deal elsewhere. So right now, it makes the most sense for Toronto to trade him. For that reason, I think Philly's close to home for Kyle Lowry. And they're going to stage that. What Pop Smoke say? Either aim for the stars and shoot for the moon or reach for the stars, shoot for the moon, whatever it was. Rest in peace, Pop. But that, that, that's the way I feel about the trade deadline. Everybody wants the Patty Mills. Everyone wants the George Hills, the Langston Galloways. And that's fine. And those are the types of players that would fit perfectly for this system. But there are opportunities to get upgrades like Kyle Lowry right now, like Wayne Ellington right now. That would come cheap. So you have to reach out and try to get those guys. Now, to your point about Nemanja Bielitsa, I really like Bielitsa. I think he's the per- absolute perfect fit for Philly's system. I see him as a 6'10 stretch four. He can capitalize on number advantages. He's great passing from the post. And also, he's a big man. So if he has a one-on-one mismatch and he's on the floor with Ben, with Joe, with Dwight, with Tobias, it's a bucket. But here's what you have to look at. You've got Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and Tobias, who are all untouchable. You've got Seth Curry and Danny Green, who I don't think Daryl Morey wants to part ways with just because of the chemistry and how everybody's kind of carved their own rollout. But if they have to, they're going to part ways with Danny Green. Only if they have to, just because he's an asset in terms of his contract. 15 mil, you'd use that to make contract and money work for somebody that's getting, let's say, 28, 30 mil, right? But that leaves like Shake Milton, who I don't think Philadelphia is in any rush to trade. I don't think they're trading Matisse. I'd say he's untouchable too. I think I think, I think if anybody's untouchable, it's, it's Matisse Thibel. Doc has yeah. been raving about him. Yeah. So 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 let's say Ben, Joe, Tobias, Matisse. They're probably not trading Shake Danny or something. Like there's only a few players left that Philly can really trade and get anything for. It'd be like Tyrese Maxey, Mike Scott, and some picks. And I don't know what they're going to do to maneuver, like get certain players, but my home run hit, if you don't get Kyle Lowry, my home run hit would be Terrence Ross. I am I am in love with Terrence Ross's game. He's a master manipulator of the two-man game, great at navigating around screens, microwave scorer, one of the few that can just show up to a court and drop 15 off of the bench like without having to warm up or anything. Terrence Ross would be a huge home run hit for me. But it's going to be super tough like maneuvering the cap and figuring out who you want to keep and who you don't want to keep. So if there's anybody that gets traded, anyone that gets traded, I'm going to say it's Tyrese Maxey, it's Mike Scott, and it's Danny Green. Like maybe Quirk Maz, maybe Ferguson throwing guys, but those are the only three I could see Philly parting ways with. And I don't even think they want to part ways with Danny Green as it is. So you're really going to have to get on the phones. You're really going to have to gauge what the market's like. You're really going to have to play the buyout market. JJ's a good name there. Wayne Ellington maybe as a buyout candidate. But I don't know. Keep an eye on Nemanja. Keep an eye on Lonzo Ball. Keep an eye on Terrence Ross. A couple of guys out in Orlando. Uh, Philly's going to go in a number of ways. But I, as a fan, I would be content with what Philly has right now in terms of chemistry. And I think their five is better or could at least match up and play with any five in the league. But it's that bench scoring. If you're going to get 54 points a night out of them, you don't have to make a trade. But that 54, it comes too inconsistently. One night it's 54, one night it's 13. Like there's nobody on the bench scoring. Also, like, like it, 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 sure, like the numbers that they, when, when they do get it, it's nice. Mm-hmm. But like, what's coming against the Bulls, the Wizards? Exactly. The, the, the Spurs. So 
like some of Milwaukee, like, the worst defense is he's not dropping 22. Like you, you, you need guys to produce in those situations. Mupson asked if the Sixers have the trade exception. Absolutely. That's $8.2 million right there. So if you're looking at a guy that's getting $30 million, like Kyle Lowry, let's say, you're probably going to have to trade Danny Green because that's the 15 mil plus the 8 mil to match that money. But otherwise, like unless they get an upgrade for Danny Green, I don't think they're going to trade him. So I'd keep an eye on Danny Green, Maxie, and Mike Scott as the three they'd part ways with. But as a fan, be content with what they have. It's a championship contending team. And if they fill in the margins, if they get a, a, a better dead-eyed three-point shooter, maybe if they move Seth or Danny to the bench and get an upgrade in the starting five, like that'll elevate this team truly to like unbeatable measures. But right now, it's hard enough to match up with the Sixers as is. Now think about this. 14-0, undefeated when they've made six or more first-half threes. Why? They've got too many guys that can get one-on-one buckets, and if they kick it out and make the threes early, they're going to be anybody. But those games against Milwaukee where they only make three or four in the first half, or those games against the Lakers where they might not make as many threes in the first half, you need a dead-eye shooter. You need somebody that can give you five threes a night. You're going to need a Wayne Ellington. You're going to need a Lonzo Ball, somebody like that on a championship-caliber team. So once they get a dead eye shooter from three, they're straight. They're so straight. Like they're they're cool. But as of right now, I think they're good. Like I'm 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 so happy with this roster. I think right now, this is my my tiers for like trade targets. Tier one, Kyle. Tier two would be like Lonzo Ball, um, Evan Fournier. Mm-hmm. On the fence between tier two, tier three, be Terrence Ross. And then below that's like JJ, Nemanja, and um, Wayne El- or uh, yeah Wayne Ellington. Those would be like my my areas. And and I remember someone said like um, like Dwight Howard is not untouchable. He's not untouchable. You're right, but I also think that it's not good for like your outlook around the NBA. If you trade a guy that you sign on a one year deal to be your veteran, that that's gonna that's gonna scare right. the veterans away. They would – I don't think – I think they'd hang up the phone on any call about Dwight Howard. Now, obviously, if somebody calls, they're like, yo, we'll give you Zach Levine for Dwight. They're not hanging up, but in what world would that happen? Uh, Dwight has the most double-doubles off the bench of any sixer backup center in 23-plus years. He has the highest field goal percentage and most free-throw attempts of any sixer backup center in the past 12 years. He's doing his job, and he's doing it better than a lot of Sixers backup centers have in the past decade. And we all know how big of a problem that was with Embiid getting hurt, maybe unreliable unreliability at that position off the bench in the playoffs. I don't think there there's. I'm 100 sure Dwight isn't going anywhere. Um, so I, I'd keep my eye on three, four I think guys. You have to start thinking about like, do you like sign him to like a, like a two year deal? I, I mean, listen. Utah ran it back. Utah ran it back with exactly what they had last year. The Lakers are running it back with exactly what they had last year, give or take. So for Philly, I keep trying to tell people, this is the prelude. This is just the beginning. This is before the beginning. The book is just being written. If it doesn't work this year, it will work in the future. Doc's here five years. Daryl Morey's here five years. Embiid, Simmons, and, and Tobias are under contract three more years. It will work. The system is in place. They know what they have to do. It's just filling in those holes. 
The biggest hole right now to me, honestly, is Mike Scott. And I love Mike Scott. I love him to death. I love his personality. Great dude. Great for the community. Everything. But, for example, that game against Milwaukee, like Mike Scott had five threes and missed all of them. And the crazy thing about Mike Scott is he's getting wide open threes. Like, he, he's not cooking up and hitting step back there. He's getting wide open threes, like flow of the game, wide open threes and missing them. And you can't have that. You need a four right there or a stretch to plug and play that can hit threes. And Mike Scott right now is just not doing that. So you need to add a ball handler, maybe another shooter. But right now you need production from that backup four spot. You you just need it because if you want to play Dwight when Joel Embiid's not on the floor with another big, they got to be able to knock those down. For sure. Now, Brock, we we have – we have come to a, to, to a closing point in this podcast. Uh, what do you got coming up? All right, so I'm breaking down the back-to-back. So what was the game last night, Sacramento? Yep. So Sacramento and the Knicks game will be out tomorrow. That's the back-to-back breakdown. And I have to really play it by ear because Tuesday is the Warriors game. It's at 10 o'clock. I want to break that down. But I've had this Simmons piece in the chamber that, that I've been talking about for two, three weeks now, and I really need to get that out. So – I'm thinking early next week I'm going to lock in and, and get that out. Um, so probably by Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm, I'm guesstimating I'll have the Simmons piece out. And then for Thursday, I'll have the Lakers breakdown ready for Friday. Um, so probably three videos to expect within the next week. And tomorrow night, Monday, I'm doing a roundtable trade podcast on YouTube. We're streaming it with a couple of guys on YouTube. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to spoil too much, so you'll see it, but DJ – would will be there. RB will be there. There'll be a couple of guys there. So very nice. Um, um coming out. You guys all know I'm on the beat. Um, so I'll you can catch me breaking news hopefully this week or something. Um, and covering the team as the season goes on. This summer is going to be a big summer for me. I'm just going to learn the videos and 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 learn how to how to bring step it up a notch. So that way, uh, I you know I, I I can at least bring something to the table. While Brock carries the team here. Um, anything else, Brock? Where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Landis Brock right here. And on YouTube, Brock Landis. You just reverse that. Just look me up. We're at like 1.6K right now. Um, I want to get 2K. All right. So what's today's date? March 21st, right? By I'll just say April 21st, let's hit 2K. I'll give myself a month to hit 2K subs on YouTube. You're going to have more followers on Twitter than I will by like. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The followers mean nothing. Everyone eats. It's all about being a solid person, bro. If you're solid to me, me, I'll be solid to you. I'll extend my love to you. And likewise, that's all it's about. That's right. That's right. Find me on Twitter at NBA Krell. Always, uh, you know, find me on YouTube. Painted Lines. You can find our podcast, Apple Pods, at the Feed to Embiid, SoundCloud, at the Feed to Embiid. Um, and, yeah, as always, take care, everybody. We appreciate you tuning in. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy the tournament. And we'll catch you next week on a new episode of the Feed to Embiid. Brock, take him out. Stay solid, baby. There we go. <laughs>